You're listening to the Beaver Tales podcast, which features exclusive interviews with former Oregon State student athletes. We talk about what they did at OSU, what the transition was like away from college athletics, and what they're passionate about now. Here's a little taste of what's coming up on this episode. I've lived overseas and I know what it's like to be the idiot. Because so much of what we do is our culture. It's so ingrained in us, we don't realize. And one thing about being an American and being overseas is there, I think there's an attitude of we're better. That's coming up on this episode. Now I use this podcast to give free advertising to charities. So to hear about a great nonprofit you can support, stay tuned to the end of this episode. This is the Beaver Tales podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. Well, I've gotten a few Oregon State women's basketball guests on this podcast, but I have not gotten anybody from the 1970s. That changes today with Carol Weaver, or formerly known as Carol Wardrop. Carol played in the first year of the Aki Hill era. Aki Hill, the longtime women's basketball coach at OSU. Carol Weaver also was the backup center for another Carol. That's Carol Mankin, All-American and Olympic gold medalist. So some fun stories for the two Carols who were centers at Oregon State at the same time. Since OSU, Carol Weaver has done a lot, got married, had two kids. In fact, I grew up with her kids. I was the same age as her younger son, Paul. She's traveled the world a bit, spent time in Malaysia, Thailand, Spain. What she does now is multifaceted. She's a Pilates instructor at Oregon State. She also started what's called Body and Soul Companion. I'll put the website link in the episode description. It's basically where she works one-on-one with people, usually remotely now via Zoom, and talks with them through a series of questions, learning their story, and basically helping them grow in multiple areas. She's a big believer that spiritual health and physical health are very closely connected, and so she works with people in both of those areas through Pilates, through the Enneagram, variety of uh, formats and avenues to help people grow and lead healthy lives. So we'll talk about all those things, what she does now, and her memories playing for Oregon State. So please welcome the native of El Segundo, a transfer from Palomar Community College, former Oregon State women's basketball player Carol Weaver. Let's start with how you came to OSU, getting recruited by Aki Hill and coming all the way from Southern California. How did you end up going from a community college in SoCal all the way up to the mid-Willamette Valley? Well, that's kind of an interesting story because I didn't get recruited by Aki Hill. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, um, I, I played, I had a great year playing at Palomar Community College. I made all conference team and everything. Yeah. But I came up to Oregon State because my best friend was playing for Oregon State. And she, she said, Carol, they have a nutrition program up here. And I thought, well, okay, I'll go. I was going to maybe go to San Diego State after my community college but it i guess oregon state had at that point i don't know what it is now but it had one of the best nutrition programs in the country so i just came up just to go to school Hmm. and so betty even though she was at that point they were aiaw and Hmm. you could only have partial scholarships you couldn't have full ride scholarships Hmm. and only four people on the whole basketball team even had partial scholarships So I, and I had no intention of playing and I went with Betty to the tryout and I, 
I was in Gill Coliseum shooting baskets and having fun with all the people trying out, going, ah, I'm relaxed, I don't have anything to do here. And so the tryout, <clears throat> the tryout started, and I went up into the, the bleachers or whatever. I went up in the high, you know, I didn't go low, I went high just to look down. And I came back and I was living with Betty and a couple of other basketball players that were, or people that were trying out for the team. And, and, and Betty said, they want you to try out. And I was like, I don't want to try out. I'm here to go to school. So basically I made the team just because they wanted, I'm 6'2". Yeah. And um, Carol Menken, who was 6'4 she, um, they needed someone to practice against her who was tall, I think, because the next tallest person was, I think, 5'11". Wow. So that kind of became my role, practice meet for Carol Minkin, which was yeah. great. I, I didn't mind. So you get roped into playing for yes, Oregon I State. Yes, I got roped into it. I really did. I went in kicking and screaming. I was like, I don't think I want to play. But I did. <laughs> and you did. So then once you started playing, especially with Carol Minkin, with just one of the most tremendous Oregon State yeah. basketball players of that era or all time, and you've gotten to know her and stayed friends with her ever since, what yeah. was it like to have a pair of, pair of Carols as centers? And, and what was that like with her? Great question. Well, it's pretty funny because um, my coach was Aki Hill and mm. she's Japanese and it was her first year at Oregon State and she would get us all to the blackboard. I don't think we had whiteboards then. I think it was a blackboard. <laughs> I can't remember. But she'd do all these plays on the on the board and everything and she'd say and Carol you go here and you you go there and do this and, and Carol Minkin and I would just look at her and say which Carol. And she'd go, little Carol, little Carol. And guess who little Carol was? Six foot two and a quarter compared to six, four and a half. Yep. So I was little Carol. And what's so hilarious is throughout my whole time at Oregon State, everyone at Oregon State, not just athletics, but everybody in my sorority, on campus, people would say, hey, little. No one would even call me little Carol. Sometimes they saying, hey, little. Just little. So that's what it was like to play with her. <laughs> Just the confusion of the two tallest people on the team being Carol's. Right. So, but I, um, I guess I could tell you at first it was hard to be her backup because yeah. I had started at community college and, um, and so it was hard because I was a pretty good ball player and uh but you know she was an all-american i don't think she was an all-american yet though mm. she was on the verge of being an all-american she hadn't gone to the olympics yet and become a gold medalist but it still was humbling for me and i remember betty taking me out in the car um and she played this pam mark hall song she was a christian artist and, and the um the song was humble yourself beneath the mighty hand of god and in due time he will exalt you <laughs> Betty said, you need to humble yourself. Wow. And just, so it was a, it was hard, but it was such a good life lesson. Yeah. That sometimes being great is being a servant. Yeah. To others. So I decided on that, I, we were out on Peoria Road. I thought, I am going to be the best practice meet for Carol I possibly <laughs> could be. And that's going to be my role. I'm going to, I'm going to serve her and my 
I want to make her better as a basketball. So I had the bruises to prove it because <laughs> she has the boniest elbows all over all, for the whole time I played bruises all up and wow. down my arm because you know, yeah, elbow a person yeah. out. And, yeah. But I just tried to play hard against her. Yeah. So you get called out a little bit and ultimately, you know, find your role and, and play hard in that position. Uh, one last thing about Oregon State, because we got plenty of stuff to talk about in post OSU. What was in the late 70s the state of Ugh. women's athletics, the, the funding, the, the travel, just the support for the administration? Mm -hmm. This is shortly following Title IX. So what, what was the environment like in women's basketball, both at OSU and what you saw more broadly? I think it was still in, in transition, Title IX, as far as the funding was concerned. So Oregon State men's basketball was number one in the nation mm. at that period of time Ralph Miller actually Ralph Miller's daughter Shannon, Shannon. also played on the team and yeah. funny thing I like one time I had no idea who Ralph Miller was <laughs> I was from California and so I was like oh you're Shannon's dad hi all I knew him as was Shannon's dad we were at practice once and we had this pleasant conversation and everybody's like you talk to Ralph Miller and I'm like yeah who is he and he's like he's the men's basketball coach so all that to say is the men's basketball coach had these wonderful locker rooms and yeah. we just got the visiting teams locker rooms temporary lockers like yeah. we never had a locker even yeah. we just went and put our stuff in during practice and then went up and then had to take everything away and so and they, I remember they were really dingy and dented lockers and not nice <laughs> and even like for us we had to walk from the locker room down the hallway to get to the training room to get taped up and do all that stuff in the men's football team i think well it might have been basketball too they would be coming out of the showers with their towels <laughs> and it was like there was just this curtain that would anyway it was just like the walk of dread <laughs> to go not knowing who was going to walk out of the shower so it was it was not like i said only four scholarships yeah. on the whole team and they were partial um, we would travel by vans. Um, what, when we'd go to Montana, we were AIAW then. We weren't Pac-10 or Pac-12. Right. It was um, American Intercollegiate Athletic for Women. So Montana State and University of Montana were in the... Gotcha. Fascinating time, and it's crazy to see how much has changed and see the, the locker rooms that Oregon State women's basketball has now. Oh, my and, gosh. And... We go for <laughs> alumni weekends. It's like, oh, Look at what they have, yeah, and good for them. But that's that's awesome to see how how, how you played and and what uh, it was like back then. Now, part of what was going on at your time at Oregon State that became important to what you do now was kind of in the area of health yeah. of injuries or how good you were feeling as you were playing and and you may not be in the position you are now if not for some of the problems and then the recovery mm -hmm. and all that. So, w what was going on health wise at Oregon State with how long one leg was compared to the other leg at OSU, and then what, what did that lead to later on? Yeah, I was born with, a, I guess, a congenital abnormality that one leg is longer than the other, one hip higher than the other. My doctor thinks maybe I had broken the growth center um, in this on my left leg, mm. and that's my shorter leg, and I had broken it when I was four. Mm. So he thinks maybe what happened is there was a stunt and grow so I have one leg that is shorter than the other so Stephen Roy I was in constant pain when I played basketball even at in 
at community college. I was in pain, but I just played through the pain, which is a good lesson. I mean, it's a good lesson to learn to play through or continue to persevere. But um, he gave me a lift that was about three quarters of an inch. I, I should have brought it, but it almost an inch. You still have it? Yeah, I do. <laughs> no, because through the years, I wore those lifts for 30 uh, okay. years. Wow. So, yeah, not the same lifts. I sure. get new ones when they wore out. I got you. And, um, yeah. So um, I was in constant pain. And back then, now I teach Pilates at Oregon State, and I always tell people that back then they didn't really do a lot with weightlifting for mm. athletes, um, didn't do a lot of core work, really working on the core. It was all the distal parts of your body, your arm, your body, your arms and your legs, you know, your jumping and your mm. shooting. But there wasn't a lot of core. Yeah. So, um, I was in pain all the time. So he gave me a lift and I was able to play. It was like playing in a high heel shoe. <laughs> so on one leg. So that's, and so consequently now what, what I do is I'm a personal trainer and Pilates instructor because I, I just continue to have back pain throughout my life until I started doing Pilates actually mm -hmm. and I was always really active even after I played at Oregon State I, I w I've always been active my whole life but I think I learned how to um, do self myofascial release mm -hmm. on my body like rolling and, mm -hmm. and releasing the tension in your muscles um, also just nice stretching and pull what's nice about Pilates is it's active isolated stretching gotcha. so a lot of times I'll have in my Pilates classes I'll have athletes I, I there was a time when I first was working at Oregon State a lot of crew members because they have repetitive motion mm -hmm. doing just rowing in one straight line not doing you know rotational plane kind of things and so Pilates works all planes of your body uh, and also it's body work, it's, uh, except your arms, it's really working on all the muscles of your body. Yeah. So. So when you started to, um, let, let's say like right when you're transitioning away from Oregon State, at that point, it seemed like you're starting to get a picture of, okay, I realize the importance of uh, injuries and health and I don't know I, maybe you didn't know as much about Pilates then as you do now no, I didn't, you, I never heard of it, never heard of it. okay great <laughs> so you had some sort of growth and I don't know what the full story is in terms of your uh, developing interest in Pilates whenever that came along and it's sort of counterpart that you connect with both the the physical training health taking care of your body and spiritual growth, taking mm -hmm. care of yeah. your inner self, something much broader, and there's a connection between the two. So tell me about how you came to um, see the connection and what that even means to you, how they are yeah. interrelated. Well, I think that the, the word I, I think that pops into my mind is freedom, freedom mm -hmm. from pain, mm -hmm. both emotionally and physically to have freedom for being able to move your body with total movement and freedom and also just freedom with God to do what God has has made you to do like your destiny in life so um, I combined them in body and soul companion that's what I do now I do spiritual direction with people I talk about and you know what are the things like yesterday or 
still my last three directory directees um, we talked about inordinate attachments. What are the things that are holding you, that are binding you, kind of like the muscles, you know? What are, you know, what's, what are the things that are binding you, that are keeping you from free movement in God's kingdom? Mm -hmm. So um, it's the same thing with Pilates. And it's like I'm on a mission to help people have freedom from physical pain, but also spiritual things that are binding them and keeping them from. Yeah. So let's say someone finds your website, yeah. Body and Soul Companion, yeah. and they reach out to you. What sort of work do you do with them as you're talking yeah. with them one-on-one? -on -one? Uh, what sort of you know conversations do you have or, or you know methods you give them to do to practice mm -hmm. something? What, what yeah. sort of topics do you discuss? How does that work? Well, I, I guess I could tell you what a typical time with them is. Um, I'm also a big believer that spiritually... God gave us bodies, and that's the body-soul companion, too. So a lot of times I'll, I'll start out where they're breathing, and just a lot of us are in our what I call the monkey mind. We're in our minds and our thoughts, or blah, 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 and, uh, or we're pain in our heart, but we're not really listening to what our bodies are doing. And so we're having all this. And that's another thing. I don't have as much back pain now, too, because I have more freedom spiritually and emotionally. It's like a lot of times we hold tension in our bodies. Yeah. So a lot of times I'll have them do breathing and, and um, you know, do kind of a body scan where they're holding tension. And then just maybe like yesterday with the directee, I went through Psalm, five, or Psalm 8 and just reading it slowly and resting in that. You know, the heavens are declaring the glory of God and just... Also, paying attention to what your body's doing as you're worshiping and praising God. And then just finding out what's happening in their day. Mm. Um, I'm working right now with a person who works for an NGO in Turkey. And, mm. and COVID has... Well, I work with a lot of people overseas. And COVID has really added a dimension of stress mm. to their lives. So just being able to find... God in the midst of the stress and, and uh, you know, just praying with them and, and listening to them. That's a lot of what I do is I listen. <laughs> I listen a lot. I know I'm talking a lot now. <laughs> I can listen too. You can listen. <laughs> <laughs> we should do a session right here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how would you explain the, the, the spiritual peace or whatever you may call it causing a direct physical uh, reaction of in, in your story being less back pain, a, a very yeah. physical result of something that wasn't necessarily physical, although you also apply physical techniques yeah, yeah. through Pilates and, and medical care and all that. So, so why does a non-physical uh, application have a physical result, if, if that makes sense? Oh, yeah. Well, because I think, well, because we're whole beings, mm. I think... If you have emotional pain, well, it's just even like people get illnesses and a lot of times their illnesses are really emotionally based. Not that, and not even that it's psychosomatic. It really is a physical illness. And the, and what happened, what's happening and spiritually or emotionally in their life is really affecting their bodies. And I, you know, I'm, 
I, I just have so many people that have heart problems or what not necessarily my directees because most of my directees aren't a lot older but just it, it it's just all integrated is that us answering yeah question? oh absolutely it's so we're just we're whole beings yeah. we're you know you can't just look god made our bodies you yeah. know that's that's a that's something and and i I, you know, I do Enneagram too. Yeah. And, and it, with the Enneagram, they talk about the different um, personality types and there's the head, there's the head triad. And the, some people are really in their heads. Mm. And then there's the gut triad. People are in their bodies or they're in that triad and there's a certain type, the peacemaker type that denies their body, even though they're in that that triad and then there's the heart triad which is me i'm the helper type two i'm in the heart triad so for me to look at okay how do i get in my head it can't all be making decisions according to my heart it has to how do i get in my head how do i get into my my body and what my body mm -hmm. is telling me what to do yeah the enneagram is really interesting <clears throat> I've spent only a little bit of time researching it. I haven't really taken hold of it. I did the test to find out what number I was. Uh, and it, so, I don't, what number are you, by the way? I'm a two. You're what a two. are you? I'm a nine. Oh, and yeah. I don't, even, I, yeah. I don't even know what that means. But. Oh, we can do it. Well, I could do it. Like, that's what I do, too, with body and soul. Yeah. Is I do Enneagram typing and transformation yeah. exercises. So, how that. does, how do you fit? Because a lot of people are just in into Enneagram and they just spend a lot of time in just that. Yeah. You do it in the context as a part of a larger conversation. Yeah. You're doing the spiritual work, the physical yeah. work, helping people with Pilates. So it's yeah. it's one part of a holistic yeah. application. So how does it's sort of like a personality test for those who aren't yeah. familiar with it? It's probably you could spend a lot more time explaining it, but it's kind of what it is. How do you use that in the context of all the other things you also do? How does it fit yeah. in with the other things? Well, like what I, what we, like I just spent a whole weekend in training for Enneagram and relationships, mm. like how a nine, like yeah. my husband's a nine. Okay. <laughs> so a nine and a two, how do they interact? But, you know, he, a lot of what he does in the beginning, and it's not even a spiritual, yeah. um, Right. Enneagram is doesn't have to be spiritual, but and he's not. Our teacher wasn't, but he did a lot about getting in touch with your body. And mm. it's just, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. So we the integration. Yeah, integration. Just that? the your body and your yeah. and your heart. You know, some emotional people sometimes need to get out of that emotion. And like I, I have. Even before I knew about the Enneagram, I thought I need to be a more rational person. Mm. If that, it, because it was really hard being a, it was really hard being an athlete at Oregon State <laughs> because I'm such a relational person. Mm. It's like, like, can I tell a story? Yeah. University of Oregon, we were they were like the top team in the AIAW region, mm. our region, and I think we were like third, and we went to the regional tournament and in Montana. And we were on the same small plane with the University wow. of Oregon. And everybody on the Oregon State team's like, we're not going to talk to him. We're going to walk in there and sit in our seats and we're not going to talk to him. I'm like, I'm going to 
talk to him. So I, I just, back then you could get up out of your seat. Yeah. You can't do that now. But we, I got out of my seat, sat down next to the University of Oregon players, like found out all about their lives, which is what I do. And it was so funny because they're like, after it's all over, let's go out, let's go party. <laughs> da, 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 da. And it was so funny because they were saying that thinking they were going to be the champions. Well, we ended up winning and we wow. beat them in the regionals. <laughs> They didn't want to go out and party with us. Oh, sore losers. They were so mad. <laughs> so anyway, so that's kind of how, for me, playing basketball was so hard to move against people and be aggressive because yeah. I just wanted to know how they're doing. <laughs> you know, so anyway, so what was your question? No, 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 that, that's a good transition because obviously that shows that your, your ultimate purpose was to be in something like this, probably not a, a pro basketball player because it, it, this was... <laughs> probably more your your calling which is good because Aki said to one of the trainers the athletic trainer she told me she said little Carol could be an all-american if she wanted to but she just doesn't want to really she knew what my priorities were yeah. and they were a little bit different and she used to say I I was coach's sweetheart <laughs> <laughs> We have a great relationship. Yeah. Let's say you're meeting with a person for the first time on a Zoom call and they're from Duluth, Minnesota or somewhere yeah. random and you've never met them, you barely yeah. know anything, just someone recommended your name to them or something. Yeah. And so maybe you're asking a few questions, getting to know them, getting to see what sort of areas they might need the most focus in. What's the question that you look forward to asking the most? The one that most often leads to like, oh, now I'm getting to know you. Is there one question that that you find usually sparks some some interesting topics or you learn more about them? What one question in particular? Oh, that's a good question. I'm kind of an in-the-moment gal. Sure. So um, a lot, well, this is a longer, but a lot of times I like to hear their story. Right. Like, and maybe not in that initial interview, um, but just tell me a little bit about yourself. Mm. That's just tell me. Yeah. And and usually people, once they start telling a little bit of their story, I can kind of get an idea. And what what brought you here? What it what is what you know? I was just meditating this morning. Jesus said to blind Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, what do you want hmm. from me? And it's obvious he was blind. He wanted to be, <laughs> but still, it's like I think sometimes just asking, what do you want from this time? You know, they want spiritual direction, but what are you really looking for? So just that usually tons of stuff pops up yeah. out of that. And then we just go from there. Sometimes I ask, you know, like at this point in time, at this present moment, what is your body saying to you? What is your mind? What's pro What are your predominant thoughts right now? Mm -hmm. And what's predominantly on your heart right now? And that, I call it that. Well, it's not my term, but God's positioning system where I can find out where they are at this present moment in time. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times early on, like last week, one of my directees, I just, I really want to hear their whole story. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's some, I have background in counseling too, but that there's a whole, whole movement within counseling called narrative repair where once when somebody tells their story verbally it's very healing and it in it there's a book called anatomy of the soul where it kind of bores new pathways in your brain as somebody tells you their story mm -hmm. in their brain did i say your brain but um 
they 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 kind of they connect dots mm. as they verbalize what's mm. going on. But a lot of times, like last week, and that's usually a longer. Usually, I meet for an hour with people, <laughs> but when they're telling their story, usually it's an hour and a half to two, and I I go longer on the story time. Yeah. But this. I just learned so much about their family background, what makes them, you know, what were their childhood wounds, you know, how God, like a lot of times I'll ask a question, like, you know, when is the first time you experienced God? Like when your first experience of mm -hmm. him and where you really understood his presence. And, mm -hmm. um, and then, um, yeah, so that's probably early on. One thing I think that's cool about your story is that you haven't just implemented this in america but having lived in spain spent two years in malaysia some time in bangkok and being able to see how some of these same principles uh, work in other cultures yeah. i'm sure learning from their cultures yeah. and, and gaining more insight for yourself what's something that maybe you as an american knowing southern california culture and pacific northwest learn from being in Malaysia and Bangkok and yeah. Spain? How did you kind of grow to, to see broader, maybe mm -hmm. even something that you still implement yeah. today? What's something that you learned from being in other cultures? You know, um, my first cross-cultural experience was moving to Corvallis, Oregon from yeah. Southern California. <laughs> Big change. A little it bit. was a huge yeah. cross-cultural. Yeah. Southern California culture is so, you know, I always say you can take the girl out of Southern California, <laughs> but you can't take Southern California out of the girl. I'll always be a Southern California. Well, I will never be an Oregonian. There's <laughs> so much about Oregon that's different from Southern California. So that was my first, like, oh my gosh, culture shock. I think my first year here, I was playing basketball, and I was going through a culture shock. I yeah. really was. Um, first time I'd ever been in snow. Like, I'd been up skiing in snow, <laughs> but I'd never been, like, when it, when it first snowed in Corvallis, I freaked out. The basketball right. players were doing cookies in the <laughs> snow, and I was like, ah! No, anyway. But um, I think it's interesting because I also do this with, um, cross-culturally with, internationals yeah. I don't necessarily officially do spiritual direction but a lot of spiritual direction questions are geared toward internationals that I work with and um, uh, spe specifically Muslim women that's kind of my passion and I was meeting with one of them last Thursday and she was saying Carol you're different you're different and I said I think it's because I've I've lived overseas and I know what it's like to be the idiot <laughs> just like not understanding that because so much of what we do is our culture it's it's so ingrained in us we don't realize and one thing about being an American and being overseas is there I think there's an attitude of we're better I think and that's actually what this girl I was meeting with last week she's now working in in the United States and like someone had the gall to say, oh, well, your degree in your country is like this lower level. Like, mm -hmm. it's it's not really this right. here. It's a different thing here. And, I, and, and she's, she's encountered a lot of prejudice as an international worker in, in, in the United States. So... I think for me, it's like the shoe was on the other foot when I was overseas and I was 
the one that was yeah. like, it, it, you know, I, I had to learn from their culture. So I, I, I think in spiritual direction, what it, what it does for me is I, I, I have to ask questions. I can't make assumptions about people because we all come from slightly different cultures. And also to say how you do something is not wrong. It's just different. And I think that's where um, living overseas, you really have to work with your cultural bias, biases, biases, and your <laughs> ethnocentric and ethnocentric attitudes. You have to deal with that. So I think being here, that's why I have such compassion for internationals here because I know, like, I can never you learn Arabic. I was in Malaysia, and Malay is super easy to learn, but still. Yeah. It's it's hard, like it's hard living overseas. Like we would never make a comment on a person's nose mm. or their weight. Right. And like I'd be in the grocery store in Malaysia in Kuala Lumpur, and one of my friends would see me in the grocery store and said, "Carol, you put on some weight." <laughs> that are yeah. are like they they'd have these nicknames like flat nose is this girl's <laughs> nickname and da, da da da. So it's like it's such a different everything's different. How much does your husband make? Yeah. And things like that. And we have so many rules in our culture we don't even realize are really our culture's rules. It's other cultures do it very differently. I remember teaching a little bit in the Philippines yeah. and it was like maybe 10 year olds and uh, we were doing like a PE class and one of the, the students looked at me and looking and she's like, teacher, I think you need to do more ab workout. I was like, oh, that's harsh. <laughs> um, okay. Wow. Just, there's just no filter. I mean, and everyone's different. It's not just one culture does it more. And Americans will do that sometimes too. But, but it is just different. It's different yeah. Culture. Asian culture. Well, I'm like, it was so funny. Like how much do you weigh? That's a, like a huge thing I yeah. get because I'm six two and they're all five feet you know and so they're like oh you are so massive you're so tall how much do you weigh yeah but that was yeah. typical when i'd go out and about how right. much do you weigh and it's like you never would ask a woman no. in american culture how no. much do you weigh <laughs> that was the last question i had written down Shana. no i'm just kidding i wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Carol Weaver. I really like what she said at the early part. It really had to humble herself to be practice meat for Carol Macon. And it took a little bit of humility and lowering herself and saying, all right, I'm not going to worry about whether or not I'm all conference like I was at my previous college, but just what role can I play and how can I be a servant? And that's really what it means to be great, not scoring 20 points a game or whatever it may be. So I took a lot away from that. Hopefully you enjoyed the conversation as well. Last thing real quick, I like to mention charities. Today's is Food for the Hungry. They do a lot of work all around the world, even some of the places that Carol's been all around this great planet of ours. Uh, they help people get out of poverty, be empowered to succeed at the next level. So check out more about what Food for the Hungry does at fh.org. That's F h.org. Thanks for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. A lot more fun conversations coming up in the next few weeks in a variety of sports. That's always true and it remains true. Also check out the Beaver Tales documentaries, the baseball team story that I'm working on uh, is coming up too. Until next time, I've been your host Josh Warden. Good night everybody and go Beavs. <laughs>